It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, a neighborly day for a beauty. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Could you be mine? Would you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Hi, neighbors. <laughs> we are continuing a series called Extraordinary. Uh, it's a message in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Uh, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to finish chapter 5 <clears throat> this morning. The title of my message this morning is, Who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? In Luke chapter 10, a Jewish teacher came to Jesus and he said, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, You're a teacher. You know the law. What does it read? And he said, Well, you have to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, Right. You got it. Do that and you'll live. But the text says, wanting to justify himself or justify his actions, he asked Jesus this question, and who is my neighbor? Jesus then told him and them and us the parable of the Good Samaritan. Let me refresh your memory on what, memory on what that story said. Jesus said a Jewish guy was traveling from Jerusalem and he was going down on the road toward Jericho when he was overtaken by robbers, beaten, uh, robbed and left for dead. Jesus said a little while later, a priest from Jerusalem came down that very same road. The priest came across this man that had been severely beaten and he saw the condition he was in. But instead of helping him, he walked to the other side of the road and kept going. A little while later, a Levite, who was uh, an assistant to the priest, came from Jerusalem, came down that very same road on the road to Jericho. And he came across the man and saw how severely beaten he was, but he too ignored him. He went to the other side of the road and didn't help. Jesus said then a Samaritan person came. Jews and Samaritans are enemies. They're social enemies, uh, religious enemies. They don't agree on much of anything. They, they incredible animosity and bitterness toward one another. And Jesus said the Samaritan came and he said that when the Samaritan saw the man in the condition that he, that he was in, the Jew lying on the ground, it said he was moved with compassion. And so he stopped. It says that he bandaged up his wounds. It says that he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and said to the innkeeper, here's some money. Um, it, it, whatever he needs, take care of him. And if it costs more than this, I'll come back in a couple of days and I'll pay you whatever it costs. Jesus then turned to the Jewish teacher and he said, which of these three guys do you think proved to be a neighbor? And the Jewish teacher said, I suppose the one that showed compassion or mercy. Jesus said, you're right, so go and do the same. The question that this Jewish teacher asked Jesus, trying to test Jesus and trying to justify himself was a profound question. The question was, who is my neighbor? Because the Jewish teachers had created a a social and religious system in Israel that, that basically only consisted of two groups, neighbors and enemies. Their neighbors were those that were part of the Jewish community. 
They, they were those that, or those that were added to the Jewish community um, by being converted to the, the Jewish faith, Judaism. Uh, the, those that were, were not a part of their neighbors or their, their enemies were those outside of Judaism, those that rejected the law of God, the, the Gentiles, tax collectors, and sinners. So they had these two groups, neighbors who believed what they believed, valued what they valued, <clears throat> and then everyone else that they put on the outside. Now, the law said, the law commanded that they had to love their neighbors. They knew that. But they added to that this concept of showing contempt for those that were not their neighbors. So they believed from the Old Testament that they, they were justified in treating with contempt all of those outside of the Jewish faith. We, we have a similar system, don't we, that we live by? Neighbors and enemies. Uh, our neighbors, like the Jewish neighbors, our neighbors are those that believe what we believe and value what we value. They agree with us. And we have, we have all kinds of neighbors. We have theological neighbors. Our theological neighbors are those that believe what we believe about God and who God is. We have political neighbors, don't we? Our political neighbors are those that are on the same side of the political aisle that we're on. They agree politically with us. That's our neighbor. We have moral neighbors. Our moral neighbors are those who, who agree with us or believe what we believe about what is absolutely right and absolutely true morally. Those are our moral neighbors. And we have sociological neighbors. Our sociological neighbors are those that agree with us on social issues. Everyone else are, are those that don't agree with us. They're, they're not on the right side of the fence as we are. And you know, we, we love our neighbors, don't we? We, we love those that agree with us. We, we love those that believe the same thing we believe and value the same thing we value. But we often show contempt for those that don't agree. We often don't genuinely love those that don't believe what we believe and value what we value. Let me ask a question. Our, our world really operates like that, doesn't it? So how do people that are pro-abortion um, treat those that are not for, I'm sorry, that are against abortion? Those on different sides of the abortion argument, how do they treat each other? Think back a couple years. How did, how did people during COVID, how did those that were for mask mandates treat those that were against mask mandates. Do you remember that? Well, let's, let's pull it into the current. How do people that are, are for COVID vaccinations treating those who are against COVID vaccinations and vice versa? How, how do we treat each other? So according to this Jewish system, the letter of the law was love your neighbors and hate your enemies. That's how it worked. Jesus comes along and he says, no, no, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that. Jesus comes along and he says, the spirit of the law is treat everyone like they're your neighbor. So think about your life. Think about these two worlds, our neighbors, 
those that believe what we believe and value what we value and agree with us on those issues, and those that don't. Do you live more by the letter of the law or the spirit of the law? Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 43. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43. says this, Jesus says, You have heard the law that says, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, the law did say, love your neighbor. The law did not say, hate your enemy. That was created by the Jewish teachers to to justify their contempt for Gentiles, their contempt for evil people, prostitutes, and tax collectors. That was not part of the original law. Jesus says, you've heard that the law says, or you've been teaching, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For He gives His sunlight or sunshine to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just or righteous and the unrighteous alike. Listen to what Jesus says. If you love only those who love you, if you only love your neighbors, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. You're no different from the world. The world, they love those that believe the same thing they do. They they, they love those who value the same things that they do. You're, You're no different than the world. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that, those that have no regard for God. The world operates in that system. Love those who value the same thing you value. You treat with contempt those who don't. But verse 48 says, you are to be perfect, mature, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Verses 43 to 48 are all about oikos. If if you're new to Central, you don't know what the word oikos means. It's a Greek word, and when it's translated into our English Bibles, it's translated house or household or family or people. In Jesus' day, it had to do with the people that that worked in the family business. So it could be your immediate family, your extended family, your servants, your friends. In our context today, your oikos is your relational world. It's the people that God has supernaturally and strategically put you in relationship with, if you're a Christian, for the purpose of sharing Christ with them. You have an oikos. You have a relational world, and I have an oikos. My my oikos is probably different from your oikos. My set of people that I'm in relationship with at work and at school and wherever I intersect with people in the community is probably different than your oikos. But you have one that God has has given to you. I know you're saying, Jeff, you can probably take almost any verse in the Bible and twist it into oikos because that's what you do. I I know. I'm, I'm all about oikos. I get that. But these verses, they're foundational to oikos. They give us both the how and the why of oikos. So as we, as we continue now for a few minutes, I want to I ask the question, what do these verses teach us about oikos? And the first is this, oikos includes more than my neighbors. My oikos, my relational world, includes more than my neighbors, more than those who believe what I believe and value what I value. So verses 43 and 44. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. We don't get to choose our oikos. Well, we do get to choose our friends, but we don't necessarily get to choose the people that God puts in our relational world. 
the people that we work with, the people we go to school with, the people in our neighborhood, our physical residential neighborhood, the people we intersect with in the community. God sets those people in our lives, just like the story of the Good Samaritan. The three guys that traveled from Jerusalem on the road to Jericho, they didn't get to choose who was in their path. They didn't get to choose who was lying there on the road. God put them there. And their responsibility was simply to respond to that. (laughs) And here's what I found. God puts people in my relational world that are way out there, that are totally different from me, that don't believe what I believe, that don't value what I value, that don't agree with me on social issues, they don't agree with me theologically, they don't agree with me morally. They're just different. Maybe you found that to be the case too. So I've been in the ministry most of my life, like working in the church or, or other ministries. But, but a, a good part of my life I've spent in the public sector. I, I was a basketball coach at public high schools. I was a substitute school teacher for years in public schools. I worked in merchandising in grocery stores and drug stores. Um, I worked in a warehouse uh, that, that, that packaged packing materials. I, I, I've worked in a lot of different secular non spiritual contexts. And what I found was God regularly put people in my relational world, in my oikos, that were really different from me. I remember sitting at a break or or at some time with this crew of people that were doing merchandising. We were flipping a store, a grocery store, and, and they were all about half my age. And they were talking about music or pop culture or something. I remember exactly what it was. And one girl said, uh, she, she said, I love Eminem. I said, me too, plain or peanut, which, which? <laughs> and she said, she said, Eminem just makes so much sense to me. Like, like I don't think, I don't think I've, I've ever heard any of his lyrics that I didn't totally agree with. I'm like, okay. And since I knew nothing about Eminem at that point in my life, I said, well, what are some lyrics that like really make sense to you? And so she started quoting some, some songs of his, and I'm like, okay, you, you know what? Like, I feel that way about the Bible. Like, the Bible, it makes total sense to me. Like, I don't think I've ever read anything in the Bible that I didn't totally agree with. And instead of resisting that conversation or being critical or retreating from that conversation, I tried to, I tried to step into it. I tried to just say, hey, oh, cool. Like, tell me a little more about what, what, what to you makes sense. And then let me tell you what makes sense in my life. I worked in this, this warehouse in Pomona, California. Pomona's a rough, gang-infested area in California. Most of the guys that worked there were, were felons, ex-cons. Uh, that was their first job out of prison. And, and I... I just hung out with them and, and enjoyed them, and they enjoyed me, and I, I tried to talk to them about the Lord, so they called me preach. They called me preach because I talked about, about God and how they could have a relationship with God. And they, they made fun of me. Some of them were a little meaner and, and not as accepting. Some mocked my faith. Some ridiculed me for my faith. And, and one, one, night, one night or day when I'm working, one of the guys said, hey, he said, you'll preach. We went to the strip club last night. Y'all ought to come. It was happening. I said, yo, homie, I went to Bible study last night. Y'all ought to come. Check it out. It was happening. And then I gave him the E for eternal life sign right there. No, I didn't do that. I would have got shot in that factory, in that warehouse right there. You know, you know what? You, you, 
You step into conversations. You step into relationships with people that are way different from you. Guys that go to strip clubs, people that do all kinds of things that, that you don't do. And Jesus doesn't ask you to love what they believe, and he doesn't ask you to love what they do. He asks you to love them. Just love them. And he asks you to treat them with the same dignity and respect that you treat your neighbors. Amen? He just asks you like the, like the Samaritan on the road to Jericho when he stumbled upon this guy to just stop and care for him. Not agree with him. He was never going to agree with that Jew's theology. He was never going to agree with that Jew's philosophy of life. But he could stop and love him. Even if he didn't love what he did and even if he didn't love what he believed. And that's what God calls us to do. So as you think about your oikos, you think about your relational world, the people that are different than you, that God has set in your life, how do you treat them? Are they enemies or are they neighbors? That's the challenge of Christ. The second thing that Jesus teaches is that prayer changes my heart toward my enemies. Prayer changes my heart toward my enemies. So again, verse 43 and 44, Jesus says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray. Say pray. Pray for those who persecute you. Man, prayer is, is huge. Prayer is so powerful because prayer changes us. Prayer changes our attitudes toward those who are different than us. Some of you that are a little older like me might remember a guy named Ed Cole, Edwin Lewis Cole. He, he ministered to men in the 80s and 90s. Powerful men's ministry. And I'll never forget something Ed Cole said. Ed Cole said, we become intimate with the one we pray for, the one we pray with, and the one we pray to. And what he meant by that is we we, we become intimate with people that we pray for. If you've been praying for someone for a long time, your, your heart has sort of been drawn to them, knit to them. You care about them because you're praying for them. Ed says, we become intimate with the people we pray for. Something changes in our heart. He says we become intimate with the people we pray with. If you've ever been in a, in a small group of, of prayer, prayer people that pray over a period of time, man, your heart just gets knit to theirs. You become intimate with them as you pray with them for things over time, which is why husbands and wives need to be praying regularly, amen, together, because God will knit your hearts together in a spiritual intimacy as you pray with one another. We become intimate with the ones we pray for, the ones we pray with, and obviously the, the one we pray to, God. You become intimate with God as you cultivate a life of prayer in that relationship with Him. Prayer is huge. Prayer changes our hearts toward people that we don't love. It's a supernatural work. The Apostle Paul in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, says something so incredibly profound, and as we dig a little bit under the surface, I hope you see it this morning. Paul says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, beginning with all people in your life, all people in your oikos, all people in your relational world, everyone that God has supernaturally and strategically put you in relationship with, that's part of your all people. But then he goes on, he says, for, for kings and, and all those in authority, leaders of nations, leaders of states, maybe leaders of cities, and then leaders in your life, not only presidents and prime ministers that affect us, 
But the leaders in your life, your parents, your teachers, your boss, law enforcement, people that, that, that God places in authority over you, we are to pray and intercede for them so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. Then he says this, this is good and pleases God our Savior. This kind of prayer for them. But then he, he, he focuses in on what kind of prayer this is. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be what? Saved. That means they're not saved. That means if you're a Christian, they probably believe different than you believe and value things that you don't value. They're, they're different from you theologically, morally, philosophically, socially. They're probably different from you. He wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So, so Paul says, pray for people in authority over you. Pray for people in your relational world, whether they're you know, friends, neighbors, or what you might see as outsiders. Pray that they would be saved. Pray that those people would be in heaven with you. Have a love for them as you pray for them that, that they would get saved and they would be in heaven with you. Now, when Paul says pray for kings, who's he praying for in his life? He's praying for Emperor Nero, Roman Emperor Nero. Nero uh, started to reign in 54 A.D., and he reigned until 68 A.D., 14 years. During the, the middle of all of Paul's ministry, Nero was the emperor. Nero was sick, mentally demented. He was ill. He killed his mother. He killed his wife. He killed his family members. He killed anyone that rose up as a threat to him. He began to torture and persecute Christians. And so he would, he would take them, and if they wouldn't renounce their faith in Christ, he would wrap them in fresh animal skins that had just been cut off the animal, and then sick wild animals on them in the Colosseum to devour them. He would take Christians and tie them to posts in the city and then light them on fire as human torches. Paul says, that guy, the guy that may have thrown your good friend, your good Christian friend, or your dad or your brother into the Colosseum to be the, that guy, that's the one you pray that would, they would be in heaven with you. The, the, the one that may have, have lit your parents on fire because they wouldn't renounce their faith, that guy. Tradition says that the apostle Peter was crucified upside down at the command of Nero. Tradition says Paul was beheaded in prison at the command of Nero. That guy, Paul says, we got to pray for him. We got to pray that that guy would be in heaven with us. Are you kidding me? The guy that did that the guy that believes that, that, that sicko, I'm to pray for him to be saved and come to... How about if we just keep him out of heaven? How, does we, how, how about if we keep old Nero out and let him go to hell? Prayer fills our hearts with heaven's desires, not hell's desires. The desire of heaven for the wicked is that they would repent and go to heaven. The desire of hell for wicked people is that they would burn and suffer eternally. Heaven desires people to repent and be saved 
and spend eternal life with God. Hell desires that all people would burn and suffer apart from God eternally. Prayer fills our heart with heaven's desires. So I've got to ask the question, is your heart filled with heaven or hell? Toward people, people that you don't like. Paul said, I'm going to pray for this guy that is killing people, torturing Christians, mocking them. That's the guy we're going to pray he would be in heaven with us. This is the extraordinary life, a life beyond ourselves, a life beyond our human desires, a life beyond what we would naturally do. This is the extraordinary life that's only possible as we are filled with the Holy Spirit and changed by Him. See, prayer changes our attitudes toward our enemies. Prayer changes our heart toward people that we don't like or don't agree with or don't agree with us or don't value the things that we value. Desiring our enemies to be in heaven with us is supernatural. But friends, that's why Jesus stepped out of his neighborhood in heaven and stepped into yours. So you'd go to heaven with him. In all of our sin, in all of our wickedness, Jesus stepped out of his safe neighborhood and stepped into our evil neighborhood to save us. The third thing I think that Jesus talks about with oikos is this, everyone is worthy of God's love. Everyone is worthy of God's love, verses 44 and 45. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. God causes his sun, sunshine, to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The, the sun and rain uh, describe good things. They're both good. In an agricultural society, in order to grow crops, in order to prosper, you had to have sun and rain. Farmers, you know that. And so the text says that God sends sun and rain on the good and the evil, on the righteous and the unrighteous, the, the wicked and the godly. He sends both. Now, I want to start by saying I don't want you to confuse anything here. I, I don't mean that we've earned God's love or we deserve God's love because we don't because of our sin. What I mean is God determined that you and I are worth loving. God determined that you and I are worth loving, and let's take it one step further. Jesus determined that you were worth dying for. He determined you were worth suffering for. He loved you so much that he was willing to suffer and die on a cross. See, God extends his love and his goodness to everyone, good and evil. He sends sun and rain on every neighborhood in the earth. It's called common grace. He extends common grace to all humanity doesn't mean they're saved. It means that he demonstrates his love and goodness towards all of his creation. And despite our sinfulness, the Bible says that we were worth dying for. Despite our rebellion against God and not wanting anything to do with him, the Bible says he still counted us worthy of his love. Romans uh, chapter 5, verses 6 through 8 says this. When we were utterly helpless spiritually, Christ came at just the right time and died for us what? Say it again. Sinners. Evil people. Now, most people wouldn't, wouldn't die or be willing to die for an upright or a good person, though someone perhaps might be willing to die for a person that was really good. But God showed his love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still what? Sinners. 
not because we were good, not because we were righteous, not because we, we had our act together. It was simply out of the love of God. He considered you worthy of his love, and so he came to earth and died on a cross. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says this, He, Jesus, is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. He's talking about Christians and not only our sins, but the sins of who? The whole world. Every person. Jesus died for everyone. Not just you, not just your family, not just people that are living relatively good moral lives, but for sinners. God so loved the world, all of the world, not his favorites. God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have, excuse me, eternal life. God chose to love you and God chose to love me when I did not deserve it. So let me ask you a question. Who in your mind, what person or what groups of people are not worthy of God's love? Those who advocate abortion up until birth, are they not worthy of God's love? Those opposing abortion, those pushing for gender transition rights for children, are they worthy of God's love? Those in the LGBTQ community, are they worthy of the love of God? How about those who abuse their wives physically, emotionally, mentally? How about human traffickers? People that, that capture, kidnap, exploit children and women for personal financial profit and then destroy their lives and kill them. Are they worthy of the love of God? How about rapists? Are they worthy of God's love? What about those that, that walk onto school campuses and shoot innocent children, kill them, injure them? Are they worthy of the love of God? What about those who sell child pornography? Are they worthy of his love? Is there any human neighborhood that God does not extend his love to? Is there any neighborhood that Jesus won't visit? Did Jesus come to only save his neighbors? No. How do we know that? Because the Bible says every one of us was his enemy. We were his enemy. We weren't his neighbor. We weren't his friends. Scripture says before every one of us came to Christ, we were his enemies. Romans 5.10 says this. If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, if we were God's enemies before we came to Christ. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? You weren't his friend. He didn't come and extend his love to you because you were his neighbor, because you believed what he believed and, and valued what he valued. You didn't. You were his enemy, opposed to him. Your heart was in rebellion against him. Jesus determined that when I was getting drunk and when I was getting high and when I was in sexual sin and when I was walking in all kinds of rebellion and sin in my life, that I was still worthy of his love. He determined that I was not only worthy of his love, I was worthy of the cross in my rebellion. And Paul thinks about his life and he thinks about Nero for a minute. And he goes, you know what, that, that's pretty bad, but I'm no better 
I persecuted Christians. I tortured Christians. I killed Christians. Who am I to say that the love of God should come to my life and not Nero's life? Because there is no neighborhood in the world that Jesus will not step into to save somebody. The love of God is extended to the whole world. When we refuse to love our enemies, we refuse to reflect the person, character, and nature of God. When we refuse to love our enemies, we do not represent God in this life. Here's what the text says, verses 44 and 45. I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you in in that way. In what way? Loving your enemies in that way. Not just loving your neighbors, but when you love your enemies. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. When do we act like God? When we love our enemies. When we extend grace and love to those who don't believe what we believe and don't value what we value, don't agree with us on theological and moral issues, social issues. God considers them worthy of His love like He considered you worthy of His love. When Jesus told the the Jewish teachers, love your, when they said, love your neighbor but hate your enemy, And Jesus says, treat everyone like your neighbor. He was talking about the people in their lives that they had had rejected, the, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the people that they excluded, the people that the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people excluded from their community. And then Jesus went after them. Jesus lived what he taught. So Jesus started hanging out with tax collectors. Jesus started hanging out with prostitutes. Jesus started hanging out with the grossest of sinners in the community at the criticism of the Pharisees who said we should love our neighbors but hate our enemies. Jesus said, no, you treat everyone like they're your neighbor. That's the call of Christ. We we represent Jesus in this life when we not only love our neighbors but we love our enemies. When we place value upon people because they value because God values them. Jesus stepped out of a safe neighborhood in heaven and he stepped into my neighborhood to love me and save me. And through us, God wants to step into every neighborhood neighborhood in the world to seek and save the lost. This is a lesson about oikos. You don't choose your oikos. I don't get to choose my oikos. Prayer changes my heart toward my enemies. Everyone is worthy of God's love. Everyone should be treated as a neighbor because God determined I was worthy of his love. Who am I to say that you're not worthy of his love? At the cross, Jesus offered his love to every neighborhood in the world and treated us like neighbors, even though we were enemies. God is good. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm so thankful that despite my wickedness, and the rebellion of my heart, Christ stepped into my neighborhood and showed me his love. Let's pray. God, thank you this morning for these difficult words of Scripture. We know we can't fulfill them in the flesh. Oh, Holy Spirit, we need you this morning. We need you to change our hearts toward people. We we need you to create in us love for those that don't believe what we believe, those that don't value what we value. Oh, God, this week, help us 
to reflect what it's like to be a true son or daughter of God. Help us to reflect your person, character, and nature in the world as we treat everyone like neighbors. In Christ's name, amen.